We have our first sponsor of the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. When I first started my podcast, I had no idea how to edit, record, or distribute it, but you can do it all with Anchor from your phone or your computer. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello besties, welcome back to another episode of Life Gets Weird. I'm Mary, the host of this podcast. If you're new here, welcome to the mess that is my life. Um, This week's episode is going to be an October roundup. So I think October has been one of the most exciting months of this year, to say the least. Um, But there has been a lot that went down, so we're going to get into that. So first of all, we're going to start with Don't Worry Darling. And now you may be thinking, Mary, that film came out in September. What are you talking about? Yes, that film did come out in September, but the drama made its reappearance. It made its resurgence. So if you missed the drama, which I don't believe you could have done, let me enlighten you. We'll start with the movie itself and my opinions of the movie itself, despite it coming out in September, because I feel like you know, if we're talking about it, let's talk about it properly. So luckily I got invited to an early press screening of Don't Worry Darling for work. And I brought my best friend with me, also known as my only friend, also known as the only other person in my life who was also gagging to see Don't Worry Darling. And we had two very different opinions of the film when it ended. Hers was that it was a great film. And when I didn't immediately respond with agreement, she proceeded to say, well, yeah, but you're a film snob anyway. So here we are. Um, My film snob review of Don't Worry Darling is that it was a very mediocre film at best, okay? Florence Pugh and Gemma Chan were obviously incredible. I think you could give those two women a script about paint drying and they would still give incredible performances. But something I really want to touch on is how amazing Kiki Lane was in that movie. So Kiki Lane, if you haven't already seen the movie, is a very essential part of the plot. And the film actually couldn't have gone on without her role. But she was rarely in any promotion, if any promotion, for the film itself. And also, I saw her Instagram post where she mentioned that a lot of her scenes were cut out. And I just feel like that wasn't right okay like that didn't sit right with my soul from the get-go because Harry Styles yes I understand he was a main character but like the amount of promotion he got and the amount of promotion surrounding this film that was based on the fact that Harry Styles was in it was so like dehumanizing to everybody else in that film and I think even Florence Pugh went out to say like you know you put all this work into acting it's kind of a shame when it comes down to solely focusing around the person who's going down on you in the film, you know? And she's right, like, don't get me wrong. There, I didn't think there was anything wrong with the scenes, like the sex scenes with Florence Pugh and Harry Styles in the film, but like, there's so much more to the film than that. Like, that isn't even the premise of the film. And so for her role specifically, Florence Pugh's role specifically, to be belittled down to the fact that she just like got head from Harry Styles is like, okay, that's not fair. And then also Kiki Lane just completely being kicked to the side. The film literally would have crumbled without her. It wouldn't have made any fucking sense. I also think that the film was incredibly predictable. Um, I mean, no shade, no tea. I watched the film and I enjoyed it. I probably wouldn't watch it again. Like when it comes on Netflix or Disney Plus, or Amazon Prime, whatever. I probably won't watch it again. But yeah, I found it quite predictable. And the reason I found it predictable was because Olivia Wilde's acting was so poor that it just gave the whole thing away. So that was my review of Don't Worry Darling. But 
the drama has been it's been something so we'll take it back to the venice film festival at the venice film festival olivia and harry weren't pictured together like if they were pictured together they were on opposite ends of the crowds you know they're just keeping their distance so then this sparked the rumors that olivia is over since then we have been proven wrong um they are still very much together they went to see wolf alice together the other day and you know we're not even going to talk about that video but they're still together but it was also rumoured that Florence Pugh wasn't going to attend Venice Film Festival. Um, then she did, and she absolutely slayed the red carpet. We love to see it. And Chris Pine was taking pictures of her. It was amazing. But there was a bit of tension at the Venice Film Festival. I mean, you had Harry Styles saying, the thing I like about the movie is that it feels like a movie. And I really need to understand how the same man that said that also wrote the lyrics to Matilda. You know, I, something was going on there. Um, Chris Pine literally looked like he wanted to be swallowed up by the ground and not be there. Gemma Chan was just minding her pretty business as she absolutely should. And I think Florence Pugh only turned up for the actual screening of the event. Um, and then obviously there was Spitgate where Harry Styles allegedly spat on Chris Pine. Both parties have denied it. I mean, if you watch the video in slow-mo, you can see that he didn't spit on him. It's just very unfortunate timing that at the exact moment that Harry Styles decided to pout, Chris Pine also decided to look at his lap. So, you know. Um, but all that went down. Internet went wild. Absolutely loved it. Had a field day with the memes. And then it kind of died down. Then the film came out and, you know, people had their reviews about the film. Probably not one of the best films of the year, but whatever. It was, it was fun to watch. I'll say that. And then the shit hits the fan again. And the nanny for Olivia and Jason spills the tea. She spills the drama. And the thing is, you might be thinking, Mary, I live in the UK. How did I not hear about this? Well, girly pops, the Daily Mail's article was not available in the UK because of freedom laws. I don't know. I dropped out of a law degree. I'm not going to give you the tea on that bit, but I will give you the tea on what happened. So the nanny basically revealed that Olivia and Jason had been having their problems for a while and the main thing for the nanny was that she felt betrayed and rightfully so like they just cut her off with no severance pay and I don't know how I feel about it like obviously I don't know these people none of us do and there is also a part of me that's like why would you not get a nanny to sign an NDA like is that not just step one you know like you're Olivia Wilde and Jason Stakers like NDA babe immediately but anyway, the nanny said all this, the Daily Mail, and basically, Olivia Wilde made a salad. <laughs> and this is the fucking funniest thing ever. I did not have this on my 2022 bingo card, I can tell you that much. I think COVID coming back was higher on my bingo card than Olivia Wilde and Jason Sudeikis getting a divorce over salad dressing. So let me explain that if you are unaware. Olivia Wilde made a salad and put her homemade salad dressing on it and then went to go and see Harry Styles with said salad. From this, Jason Sudeikis was like, uh, 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 babe, get back in the house. And he laid in front of her car to stop her from going to see him. And I genuinely need to know if Harry Styles wrote keep driving before or after this incident, because as I said, in the UK, there are limitations to the article. And so I don't know if the article had any dates in it, but if anyone knows any timestamps, 
send them my way because I need to put two and two together here and I really need to know because keep driving's a bit of a bop, you know? And I, anyway. So it's clear to Jason that Olivia and Harry are a thing. Apparently she claimed that Florence and Harry were a thing, which I would love. I would personally love that so much. It would be so good for me. My skin would be clear in a second if they were dating. But yeah, that all happened. Jason found out. And apparently he saw on Olivia's Apple Watch that she kissed him at a cast party or something. So that's all going down. Jason Sudeikis is in London to film Ted Lasso and the nanny's with him. And like the nanny is saying that he's being very aggressive and like drunk all the time. Not, I think she specified that he wasn't being aggressive to her, but just in his nature. And the nanny was telling Olivia this and it kind of comes down to the fact that two grown adults couldn't have a conversation and it resulted in one, someone losing their job because they fired her with no severance pay and two, the whole fucking world being involved in your drama now. And so there isn't an argument to this or an answer to what I'm saying about whose side to take because I truly do not believe there is a side to take. I think everyone's in touch with their own opinions. This is now public information, you know. You can't you can't be mad at people for talking about something that's public information. And I hate when people say like, oh my God, like let them mind their own business. Like don't get involved. Babe, it's all over the fucking internet. Like there's only so much I do in my life. I have time before bed to scroll through Twitter. And so that's what I'm going to do. But yeah, both parties here have been made to look very, very bad. And I mean, like I said, we don't know these people, but it is fun to watch. I do feel bad for both of them. I really do. Because I think when children are involved, and especially when you're as big as they both are, this is something that their children aren't going to ever be able to hide from, you know? And I feel that way about Kim and Kanye as well. Like, their kids are never going to be able to hide from the fact, or be hidden from, the fact that what their parents did is so publicly and chronically online. And I do really feel bad for those kids from both families because they didn't get a say in what parts of their life is shared with everyone. And so they have to now grow up in a world where everyone knows what their parents did and knows all these rumors about their parents. And I mean, as much as I love Harry Styles, I really would not want to come into school one day and have someone be like, oh my God, didn't your mum cheat on your dad with Harry Styles? Like, that is just too much to handle. Don't worry, drama. That is the title. No, it's not. Um. Anyways, now onto more pressing topics of October. Here in the UK, we've had a bit of a shitstorm. I mean, we've had a bit of a shitstorm since 2015, to be honest, but more recently, Liz Truss resigned. And, you know, I'm not going to talk about it because I don't really care. No, I do care. I do care. Our country is crumbling. It's just easier for me to say that I don't care because um, I like to protect my feelings. But the reason that I'm saying Liz Truss resigned, not retired, did I say retired? Resigned. Um, is because the day that she resigned was the day before Midnight's came out. Midnight's the Taylor Swift album. And I know she's a Swifty. I know she's a Swifty. She's a big, big Swifty. She's walked out to Taylor's music before. She's got a couple selfies with Taylor. It's like, okay, money gal. Like, okay, I see you. 
Um, but yeah, she resigned the day before Midnight's release. And my hypothesis is that Liz just wanted that day for herself. She said, I need to listen to Midnight's at midnight and I can't be prime minister and do that. And she said, I'm out. And now we have Rishi Sunak, who also used to write at SoulCycle. So you can imagine how I'm feeling right now. Anyway, um, Midnight's. Midnight's is the segue I was trying to make. Wasn't as smooth of a segue as I would have liked, but here we are. Midnight's came out, girly pops. Let's fucking talk about it. So Taylor has been releasing Taylor's version, re-release albums. And as much as I have loved them, as much as they have brought me a lot of comfort, as much as I will be talking about all too well the 10 minute version in therapy for years, I needed some new music. And she really fucking delivered. We're going to talk about Mastermind. Because on first listen, I really skipped over that song. I didn't give it the credit that it deserved. Like, that is, oh, that fucking song. Let me play you the bridge of this song. Hello. That shit is insane. Like, she is criminally insane for writing that. Because it's like she just went into my head and said, oh, I'll just unlock that memory from Mary's life and I will put that in my music. And that is what she did. And I truthfully don't think I'll ever be able to recover from that. Is everyone ready? Have your antidepressants and your therapist on standby. This is the bridge of all bridges. What was that, Taylor? What? Why did you do that to me? I truthfully think that is one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. Like, I don't know. I just really feel like that is for my girls who love so much that it causes destruction in themselves sometimes. And that last line, I'm only cryptic and Machiavellian because I care. Holy, wow. Wow. Also, Way to point out the fucking obvious, Taylor. We know you're cryptic as fuck. The Easter eggs for this album were actually insane. I will say I expected a lot more from Bejeweled. Um, it's a bit of a bop, but like I expected a lot more. I thought it was going to be like an aggressive reputation kind of song. I thought it was going to be about Kanye because, you know, she announced that her album was coming out when she won her VMA and she was wearing a dress at that VMA's awards ceremony why did that come out in so many breaths oh my god what's wrong with me mary pick it up she wore a similar dress at the most recent vmas to the one that she wore when kanye decided to be an absolute arsehole um and i thought okay bejeweled bejeweled dress similarities are you picking it up here and i was like okay bejeweled is gonna be that song but it just wasn't for me um i really really love anti-hero i've been saying this to everyone Anti-hero is for the nothing new girls. Do not fight me on this. The bitches that listen to Phoebe Bridges more than they listen to Taylor Swift have been listening to Anti-hero on repeat. That is how it is. That is our song. It was the nothing new renaissance. Here we are. I also really love Maroon. I think it's such a beautiful song. But one song I will talk about, right? No, actually, I'll talk about some more. But this one, this one got me because Snow on the Beach featuring Lana Del Rey 
I first listened to it and I was like, what on God's green earth is this? I do not like. And I didn't think I would not like, but I did not like. And then I thought, where the fuck is Lana Del Rey on this track? I still haven't found Lana Del Rey on this track, but I have really grown to love this song. I, yeah, I don't skip it anymore. I really enjoy it. I don't know what happened. I think maybe because I first listened to the album at 6am with no coffee, I was like, skip, skip, skip. No, actually I wasn't. But like I skipped over Snow on the Beach after like my eighth listen of the whole album because I was like, I don't really like this song. But then it got to like 4pm that day and I was like, hang on a second. Taylor had a bit of a point with this one. But yeah, I truthfully cannot hear Lana Del Rey. And I know that Taylor Swift kind of has a reputation for this. Like female artists on her songs don't really get their own verse, apart from Phoebe Bridges. Sorry, fab supremacy right there. But yeah, I know that they don't really get their own verse, but I literally still cannot find Lana Del Rey in that song. So if you find her, let me know, because I cannot. And then at 8 a.m. BST, so I had just come out of a Soul Cycle class, Taylor Swift released the 3 a.m. edition of Midnight, which had seven more songs on it. And there is not a single skip on the 3 a.m. edition. Like, it's just so fucking good. My favorites from the 3 a.m. edition are High Infidelity, Would've, Could've, Should've, Dear Reader, and Paris. Okay, basically all of them. Well, that was embarrassing. Um, but yeah. I think it's such a good album. I really like it. I think it's such a good mix of all of her types of music because, I mean, Lavender Haze, the first song on the album, sounds so much like I Think He Knows. And then there are moments in Snow on the Beach that sound like the bridge of illicit affairs. And like, there are just, so, I don't know, it's like an ode to all her old music. And here's my hypothesis. And I'm not like the biggest Swifty. I don't have a Swifty Stan account, but I genuinely feel like each one of those songs from Midnight was written on a midnight during different albums, if that makes sense. Because I feel like you can correlate each song to a different type of album. But I do really like the folklore theme because I really love folklore. Like that is one of my favorite albums of Taylor's. And I know that there are a lot of my friends who are very much like, no, I like her poppy stuff. Like I like Lover and I like, well, no, actually they're more like they love 1989 and Reputation. Whereas those two albums aren't really my faves. I feel like Lover is the middle ground for all Swifties or all Taylor Swift fans. I really love Lover. I think it's such a fucking good album. My favorite one is Folklore, but like, to be fair, if we're saying like favorite Taylor album, ever mine has to be fearless like i'm sorry it's just like such a fucking good album also forever and always was one of the first taylor swift songs i ever heard and absolutely fell in love and my mom and i always used to listen to white horse and love story i also love hey steven and you belong with me so yeah fearless is like my absolute favorite taylor album of all time and then it's folklore and then Lover. Also for new releases, the 1975 released their new album, Being Funny in a Foreign Language. And listen to me, I've seen the 1975 perform live and they are absolutely amazing. I mean, who doesn't love Matty Healy to be fair? Like I used to see them in Soho all the time when they just like, this is like chocolate era. And I've never really been like a diehard fan. Like the only reason I saw the 1975 in concert is because they were headlining Reading Festival the year I went. 
well, one of the years I went. And they were insane. They were so good. And, you know, I listened to their music here and there. But then, you know, they're besties of my girl Phoebe. They're besties of my girl Phoebe Bridges, if you didn't know who Phoebe was. And I was reading their dazed interview together of Matty Healy and Phoebe Bridges interviewing each other, basically, and just fell in love with how their banter is so, so pure and so gorgeous. And obviously it was promotion for the 1975's new album. So I listened to it and I'm in love with you is probably my favorite song on the album. Like it's so good. And as soon as I listened to the album, I was like, I'm not listening to it anymore because I didn't buy tickets for their tour in January and now I hate myself. So yeah, there's that. And last album release of the month that I will talk about is Arctic Monkeys. And listen, I am in a tiny one-sided feud with the Arctic Monkeys right now because they are touring London the same exact time as Harry Styles. And there's only one white man that can take my time at a time, you know? Like physically, I cannot be in two places at once. And the only date that I could get Arctic Monkeys tickets for, like on the Ticketmaster site, that was the only day available with stand-in tickets by the time I got to my basket, is also the exact same day that I have tickets for Harry Styles. So do you see my issue here, Alex Turner? And I will say, I will be holding resentment against anyone that goes to the London date, because where were you on their last tour? Huh? Where were you on their last tour? Because I was there, front row, thank you very much. So give me your ticket if you have a ticket for a day that isn't the day that I'm seeing Harry Styles, and then maybe I'll give you a kiss. Now let's get into the books that I have read this month. I'm very disappointed with my lack of reading recently, and I think I say this every month, but like November, that's gonna be my fucking month. Like I know that I'm gonna be in LA, but like that's only eight days of my life. Like I need to read more than six books in November, otherwise I'm gonna have to have a serious sit down with myself because I used to be the bitch that was reading at least two, three books a week. Why have I only read four books this month? Like I'm so embarrassed and I've started like five other ones that I just haven't finished. But regardless, enough self-hatred for one episode. Let's get into the books that I read this month. So I started with The Secret Lives of Church Ladies and this book was nothing like what I expected it to be. Um, I didn't really read any reviews. I didn't really read the blurb. I just, you know, went to Catholic school and was like, fuck it up. And it's basically a collection of short stories. And I am not the biggest fan of short stories. I really do not buy books that are short stories. But I didn't know this was short stories. So I bought it and I read it and I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. The short stories basically follow a group of women, church ladies, let's say, and their relationship with their sexuality and with their religion and their relationships and how their religion has an impact on all these things and like the differing levels of faith that people have and the way that people portray that faith and it's really really interesting especially as a woman of color who grew up in organized religion I know that I really struggled with like coming to terms with specific parts of my life and sexuality and things like that and so I think that religious trauma is such a heavy thing that isn't really spoken about, especially in the black community. And I feel like this book is really important and there needs to be more stories told like that because they are the stories that make a lot of us feel seen. And so, yeah, I really recommend that book. It's really, really good. It's really sweet. It's really heartwarming. And I think if you are also a woman of color who grew up in organized religion, or maybe you didn't grow up in organized religion, but you just have 
you know, a hard time with sexuality and relationships and like coming to terms with all of those things, I would recommend reading that book. The next book I read was The Unhoneymooners by Christina Lauren. And I have a lot to say about this book, okay? Because it's all over my For You page. Obviously, when a book blows up on TikTok, it blows up on TikTok. Like, it goes hard. And I've seen so many people read this book. And I read Christina Lauren's other book, Love and Other Words, and I didn't love it. And I really thought I would because the premise is extremely cute and I am such a sucker for a romance novel. Like, a cheesy romance novel is my absolute fave genre of book. But Love and Other Words, I just felt like it was so rushed towards the end and the end was the most important bit. And I felt like that was a similar theme in The Unhoneymooners. But the thing I really want to talk about is like the dynamic between the love interests in the book. So the book basically follows the lives of these two twins and these two brothers. And Amy, one of the twins, is getting married to Dane, who is one of the brothers. And at their wedding, everybody gets really bad food poisoning. And so the only two people that don't get food poisoning are Amy's twin, Olive, and Dane's brother, Ethan. And they hate each other. But they are the only two people that can take the honeymoon together. So they go, they take the honeymoon, and they fall in love, whatever. My issue with the book is that Olive initially thinks that Ethan is body shaming her. And that kind of gets looked over until the very end of the book where he's like, no, that wasn't the case. But I really don't think that narrative should have been pushed at all. And if it was going to be pushed, it should have been dealt with and it should have been dealt with in a manner that wasn't just someone saying, oh no, I didn't. Because after a specific point in the book, you realize that Ethan is like a major gaslighter. And so him saying that he wasn't body shaming her, to me, just feels so inauthentic because he's made her feel crazy about so many other things along the way. I kind of feel like that was the one book where I was not rooting for the couple to end up together. I was kind of like, no, please do not fucking end up together. Because I feel like Olive deserves so much more. And Ethan is just as much of a jackass as his brother is. But it's romanticized. And I don't know, I just, like, he gaslit the fuck out of her in that book. And I was like, okay, I guess, I guess we're doing this. I guess this is how the book is going. So yeah, not a massive fan of The Unhoneymooners. And I know that's controversial because a lot of people love that book. But I, I don't think Christina Lauren is for me. So there we are. The next book I read is the book that everyone knew I would be reading this month. The sequel to It Ends With Us, It Starts With Us came out. And I've said this to a lot of people. I really think that Colleen Hoover has a way with writing that even if she writes a bad book, I still want to finish it. Because I really didn't enjoy all her perfects, all, all your perfects, or whatever, that book. I really didn't enjoy that. Like I actually hated the premise of it, but like I read it in a day. So I think she really does have a skilled way of writing. And that applies with It Starts With Us because that book was fucking awful. But I somehow finished it in a day. And the reason I say the book is awful is because the first book put me through emotional turmoil, okay? Like I was a mess, an ugly mess. And I know she said the second book would be lighthearted because that's what Lily and Atlas deserve. But like, come on, what the fuck was that? Like it was, oh my God, it literally dragged out for so long. The whole time they're like, we're gonna take it slow, we're gonna take it slow, boo fucking who. And then they just fucking get their happy ending in five seconds. I'm like, you had 400 pages to work with here, babe. 
400 of those pages and you wait till the last five pages to give them a happy ending. And I also have this issue with the book that's like, it was very fucking obvious that they were going to get their happy ending. Like extremely fucking obvious from the get go, like from the first book, even though the first book was so sad and so heartbreaking, it was very clear they were going to get their fucking happy ending. Like they are meant to be together. They are Lily and Atlas. Like they are, you know, soulmates. So I didn't really need 17 chapters of them realizing they're meant to be together because I fucking knew that. So they might as well have known it. Like it just, ugh. And it just felt so written for TikTok. And that's something that really pissed me off as well. Because in the prologue to the book, Colleen Hoover writes a love letter basically to everyone who hyped up and supported It Ends With Us. And she makes a point of crediting TikTok for that. And then there were just moments in the book where I was like, oh my God, I'm going to cringe. Like I'm cringing so much. I need my skin to fall off right now. Because first of all, when they mentioned TikTok, I was like, ooh. Like when they mentioned it in the story, I was like, okay, okay, where is the nearest cliff? Because I need to jump. Because it just kind of takes you out of the book, you know, because like that was not a thing in the first book. And it just really takes you out of the storyline when those random things were thrown in. And I also feel like she kept saying like on every other page, gaslighting, gaslighting, gaslighting. I'm like, whoa, we get it. Like, we truly do understand the severity of the situation she was in. Please stop using the word gaslighting. Like you are a, an older woman. Let's say that sounds really offensive. I didn't mean it in an offensive way, but I mean like she's not a Gen Z or millennial, you know, like that word is a very, very internet thing. And to have it on every single page, I was like, Lily's vocabulary is not like this. Okay. Lily does not speak like this. My girl Lily is a smart egg. Only dumb bitches like me say gaslighting every five seconds. So, wasn't in love with that book. And I'm really sad because I really wanted to love it because I loved It Ends With Us so much. But It Starts With Us just wasn't it. It just wasn't it. And you know, I think this is a message to a lot of things. Not everything needs a sequel. Sometimes wrap it up, pack it up, call it a day. Like, not everything needs a sequel. And that is absolutely okay. It Ends With Us should have just ended with It Ends With Us. Anyway, I'm currently reading Archer's Voice. Um, my friend read that book and she absolutely loved it. And she was like, you have to read it. And I've seen some of my favorite book talkers talk about Archer's Voice. And so I started reading that. Um, I'm literally going to get back into it as soon as I finish recording this episode because I really want to finish it by the end of this month. I think I'll probably finish it by tomorrow or the day after. Um, but yeah, I'm really liking it thus far. I'm really excited to see how it ends. I haven't read the blurb. I haven't read any reviews. I haven't read any spoilers. So I really don't know what's going to happen. But it's set up to be a very cute book and I'm very excited. Now let's get into the films that I watched this month. So there have been quite a few good releases this month. My Policeman came out. Luckiest Girl Alive came out. Decision to Leave came out. And The School of Good and Evil came out. And those are the four films I'm going to talk about. Those are the four films I've seen this month. So let's get into it. We'll start with My Policeman. I went to the London Film Festival to see it. So I did see it two weeks before it came out. And I've been like biting my tongue to not tell anyone about it. But it is amazing. It is so heartbreaking. It's so gorgeous. The book I have not read and I hate myself for it. But I've heard that the book is also heart-wrenching and obviously... The book is always better than the film anyway, but like by the time I found out it was a book, they had already announced that Harry Styles was going to be in it. And I was like, well, now I'm just going to picture Harry Styles, so I might as well just watch the film anyway. So didn't read the book, but I've heard that it's amazing. But the film 
really like broke me. Like it was, it, it was painful to watch. But one thing that really ruined the experience for me is that like there were so many people there who were like clearly there because Harry Styles is in the film and like laughed all the way through the sex scenes. And I was like, holy shit. Like I know what it's like to be young and immature, but like for a topic this sensitive and a topic this beautiful and heartbreaking and prominent in today's society, like I really, like it, it was just so annoying to see that because it's just disrespectful, you know, like that is such an important piece of art and it's such an amazing way to tell a story that really does matter and probably always will, unfortunately. And I say unfortunately because, you know, you never watch a film about a straight couple and you're like, yeah, I hope that they don't have to face hardship because obviously they don't have to face hardship. But like you watch a film like My Policeman and you're like, holy shit, like this is actually so sad that love one of the most basic human feelings that we have has to be suppressed because there are still people in the world who don't think that that's correct and that is just so so heartbreaking but also just so important as a reminder that we can never go back to a time like that and I say we as like the UK but like you know there are still other places in the world where people are living like they're living in my policeman where it has to be a secret and where you can be killed and where you can be arrested just for being gay. And that is like, just not a laughing matter at all. And so, yeah, that really pissed me off seeing that film and having people laugh in the background. I just wanted to turn around and like swing punches. But despite that, the film is amazing. You can tell that the cast and directors and crew had so much passion for telling such an important story. And yeah like I 10 out of 10 recommend and I know that the film isn't about Harry Styles but like after Don't Worry Darling a lot of people have been like well can he act he fucking acted his little socks off in My Policeman I could not fault him like that was such a good performance such a fucking good performance likewise with the rest of the cast but I think because the rest of the cast are actors by job like actors before anything else the question does really arise when it comes to Harry Styles, like how did he live up to it? But he did, like if I didn't know who Harry Styles was and he was just like this new up and coming actor, I would be like, hell yeah, based on my policeman. I was like, good for him. He really did a good job with that. Before I talk about the next movie, I'm gonna give a bit of a trigger warning. Um, So please feel free to skip over it. I don't actually know how to address this properly and be like trigger warning for this because I don't want to say the word without the trigger warning you know anyway so this is about something non-consensual if that gives any advice so just skip ahead a bit if that's too much for you um but if not the next film I'm going to talk about is Luckiest Girl Alive and it dropped on Netflix starring Mila Kunis and it basically follows the life of this super successful New York woman who's getting married and she starts to realize that the person she is as an act. She's carrying a lot of resentment and hurt from her childhood in which she was raped. And the story is handled so delicately and is yet another film that is so important and unfortunately is still a story that needs exposure. And so, you know, that film it's definitely not like a five-star film definitely wouldn't say academy award but like it's just so beautiful and it's handled so well i will say though on a lighter note 
I love Mila Kunis. Like, I love Mila Kunis. I think she's a fucking phenomenal actress. She's one of my favorite actresses, if not my favorite actress ever. And she, for the past decade, has been doing, like, funny films, which is fine. Like, I love a funny film. I will go to the cinema to watch as many Bad Mums movies as she made. But, you know, you see her in Black Swan and you know what her range is. And so it was really nice for her to be given a script that was so thought out and so focused on her because I feel like she did that story so much justice and I really really enjoyed watching that film so it's on Netflix if you want to give it a watch and I'll talk about the next Netflix film I watched that's also a new release for the month which is also in cinemas which I think is very bizarre but I watched this school for good and evil and it has Sophia and Caruso in it and it has Charlize Theron and Kerry Washington and Patti Lapone. like it has a lot of big names in it and I just thought it was very funny because I saw Sophia Ann Caruso when she was in Beetlejuice on Broadway and she's amazing. She is so perfect for the role she was in in Beetlejuice, but her character in The School for Good and Evil really reminded me of her character in Beetlejuice and I was just like, oh, I miss Beetlejuice. I miss Broadway. But the show, I mean, the film, sorry, is, it's good. Like, I can't say it's a bad film because I put it on as background noise to fall asleep and I ended up watching the whole thing and I was like, oh, cool. Like, I really like that. Like, it's, you know, it's nothing groundbreaking. It's not amazing, but it's a nice film. So if you want something for spooky season to watch, I would recommend watching that. I had a really good time watching it. <laughs> and then the most recent film that I've seen this month, and this film is probably the best film I saw this month, Decision to Leave. Oh my God. This is like a critically acclaimed film. Like everyone's given it five stars. It is absolutely phenomenal. And I will say first and foremost, if you are one of those people that will not watch a film if they have subtitles on them or it's in a different language, you are depriving yourself of so much good art. Some of the best films I have ever watched have been in a different language and it doesn't take away from the film. And I hate when people say that it does because it really doesn't. So Decision to Leave is in Korean and Chinese. And it follows a detective who is like away from home and from his wife and he's solving murder cases and like he really loves his job and he really loves murder cases, as weird as that sounds. And he gets put on this one case and it eventually gets ruled off as a suicide, but he knows that the wife killed the man. And in this investigation, he starts to fall in love with her and she starts to fall in love with him. And... I was just so, so heartbroken by this film. Like, Shakespeare is shaken in his fucking grave because Romeo and Juliet is no longer the best love story of all time. Decision to leave is. It was, oh my fucking God. Like, I cannot recommend it enough. It is absolutely gorgeous. It's two hours and 20 minutes, but it literally does not feel long at all because you are so engrossed in the film. And yeah, I, I just loved it so, so, so much. It was so good. I went to see it at the Curzon in Hoxton. My boss was actually there when I went to see it, which was so weird. I, well, like the Curzon in Hoxton is not my closest Curzon, but like, because I work near there, I had seen that it opened recently. So I was like, oh, we'll just go there. Like they had a screening at 5.20 um, PM on a Sunday. So, or was it a Friday? I can't remember no, Sunday, Sunday. And I was like, oh, like, dad, let's go, because my dad and I are such film buffs that we'll go and watch every new release together. And then 
we literally turned the corner and my fucking bottle sat there and I was like, I am actually gonna launch myself off a cliff. Like, don't get me wrong, nothing wrong with the guy, but you know, it's a Sunday. I really wasn't expecting to see my boss. It was like, jump scare. But yeah, the film is really, really, really good. I recommend it to everyone. But yeah, the film is amazing, despite the fact that I was sat behind my boss the entire time. <laughs> um, but I will say, I know I said earlier that like some of my favorite films are foreign language films. Some of the ones that I will recommend and urge you to watch are as follows. Um, the first one is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It's currently just been released on UK Netflix. I watched it when it first came out. Absolutely fell in love with it. I did find it a bit easier because I do understand French. You know, despite that, I started to read subtitles and like, it's such a gorgeous film. I'm, oh my God, I'm gonna watch it again tonight. Like, I love it so much. It's, oh my God, it's so beautiful. Like, everything about the cinematography, the romance, like everything about it is just so gorgeous. Another one is obviously Parasite. That is literally like an iconic film and will go down in history as one of the best films ever. And also The Farewell is one of my favorite films ever, ever, ever. It's so sad. It's a, it's a story of family and individuality and identity. It's just such an important story and such a beautiful and flawed and charismatic and every adjective under the sun describes the people in that film and it's just amazing so those three are my top three recommendations for foreign language films and then add decision to leave onto that list too and you have four films you need to watch for your homework tonight babes the next thing that came out this month i paid any attention to was the watcher the new netflix limited series and literally like my life was so bliss before I found out that was a real story. I was like, what the actual fuck? I'm telling you for a fact right now, if you sent posts to my house talking about how you know everything about me, I would never find out because I do not open my post. So, you know, cannot relate. But I would say like, it's a good watch. It's kind of creepy. It's, I don't know, it's nice. It's got suspense. It's suspenseful enough that like you might be a bit on edge, but it's definitely not something that you shouldn't watch before bed. That's the kind of middle ground it is. I will say I am pissed that there is no answer to the case. No spoilers here because there is no spoiler. You never find out who the person is. Every single episode, I spent seven hours of my life watching that show to not get an answer. I was absolutely furious. I was like, explain, explain it to me. So I'm assuming that the real case like in real life also wasn't resolved, but like, absolutely fuming but I really enjoyed watching it it was so good it was so fun so fresh I think it's like a Ryan Murphy thing so you know take from that what you will Mr Glee also American Horror Story the politician Pose I feel like he's done a lot um but yeah it's just irritating because you don't get any answers when you want answers so watch with that caution and that is it for now girly pops so I will have one more week in London when this comes out and then I'll be in LA. So next week's podcast episode will still be about my London life. Um, and then the episode whilst I'm in LA will also be about London life. But when I get back, we're going to do a whole rundown of LA because I've never been before. I'm ready for the West Coast, best coast. I'm ready for it. Um, but feel free to follow me on Instagram. I'll link it all in the show notes. Um, TikTok, YouTube, I started posting on YouTube again. You can read my Substack, which is basically correlated with this podcast. So it's also called Like It's Weird. 
but everything will be in the show notes if you want to rate review do all that jazz I like never used to say that in my podcast before I think I said it once and I was like I'm never gonna say it again but I had a meeting with Spotify and then I realized that those things are actually important and that's why people say them in podcasts it's not just for fun and fun and games but yeah thank you so much for listening to another episode of me talk absolute shit I love you and I'll see you next week